This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everyone, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 253, future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast. Coming up later this week on Friday's show, I'm going to have Kelsey Anderson from Channel 4 talk about her life and her career. Very good young journalist on the come up for Channel 4, but that's Friday today, back-to-back for the second week in a row. My man Aaron Quinn from the Cover 1 Buffalo podcast. It was a long time before I had you on until last week. And now I got you on two straight weeks, buddy. What's going on? How you doing, man? Hey, man. I appreciate uh, that. I wasn't so bad the last time they didn't want to have me back on. You actually reached back out to me. So I appreciate that, man. <laughs> well, also, in fairness, too, this was also kind of last minute. I was going to talk to someone else. But yeah. you know what? First of all, I'm just going to say it. it was Joe. Buffalo wins. You're way better than him. Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually glad that it was Joe and it's me instead. <laughs> it makes this way better for me. Uh, Joe, uh, just so Joe knows, I'm, I'm effing around. I'm joking. Um, Joe is different. Joe is a fan, whereas you're a little more analytical and, you know, you, you, you tend to analyze games a little more when Joe speaks from the fan. I like both sides of it, but uh, anyway, it's I told, always, I told Joe today because I news. If you listen to the last podcast, I did get back on Twitter yeah. today and I uh, it was something I talked to the cover one team about and decided to get back on. But Joe uh, welcomed me back and I said, and I think it's a good point. Him and I are like the yin and the yang. And over the years, we've gotten along much more because we are so different uh, in our approach to things. But I think we've come to gain each a little bit of respect. He won't ever admit it, but I think he, he's he gained likes a little you. respect for me over the years. He likes you. He's told me that. And he told me about the yeah. beefs that you guys had. Now, if I could ever figure this out, I have a Roadcaster Pro. And yet again, and this is becoming a common theme with this stupid podcast. I'm having an issue with my output. So when I first hooked up with Aaron tonight, it didn't work. And I had to... Use a backup device, which hopefully works well. But anyway, if I could get this first thing figured out, one cool thing about this machine is I could have multiple guests on at the same time and you could all hear each other. So I'd love to have you and Joe on for a show at the same time. That would definitely be interesting, to say the least. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> so obviously, we're going to talk Bills. Plenty of stuff to get to. 27-17, win their opener. Score was really not as... uh close as the, as the game indicated. Now, let me ask you this too, by the way, where, where did you watch the game? What was your vibe for the game? How was your feeling? No fans, just a whole game day experience for you. Yeah. It, you know, so I had been pretty critical of this idea of playing football without fans since winter, since COVID started and the people were talking about football season. It was better than I anticipated it being. Um, you know, I think we talked about what this was going to be the last sport and the most difficult to put a product together that was able for the fans. I do think the noise that comes in through the broadcast is a little corny. Uh, the timing isn't right. It seems forced. But the play 
it did not seem to be too impacted. I'm sure that the, there's some impact that the players will tell you about, but the Bills players on the sidelines were getting up for this game. Like they, the players were hyped. They're, there's definitely a piece missing to it, but it's much better than I anticipated it being. How about you? Um, well, actually, I watched it at a bar. Did you watch it at home? Yeah, no. So I was with at home. Fam? Yeah, I, I watched the game in a really weird way because I do the post game show. So I have my computer out with our Slack channel and I have a bunch of notebooks where I'm taking notes of the game. It's not a as fun of a way as it used to be watching the game. So I, yeah, I do have the family around, but the wife watches the kids mostly and tries to keep them from jumping all over me and bugging me during the game too much. <laughs> well, I, I made a change and I do the podcast on Tuesdays now. And I usually take with the guest this week, of course, being you on a Monday evening. And one of the reasons I've done that, well, a couple of them, number one, you guys already have a podcast cover one Buffalo. It's on Sunday nights. You guys do a live show. It's fantastic. There's a lot of podcasts between like Sunday night, but especially Monday. Kind of wanted to break away from that pack a little bit. So I figured I waited extra day to have, you know, an extra day to kind of let my thoughts settle in a little bit, hear about injuries on Monday from the coaching staff, things like that, and come out with the show a day later. But the other reason is, like you just said, you kind of, in a way, are forced to be in home for the games because you're going on the air not long after, you know, to do a live right. show. Whereas this affords me an opportunity to do something. And I did this Sunday. I haven't done it in, I, I want to say at least two and maybe even three years. I went to a bar for the game. And, um, uh, you know, this, there's a lot of differences between living in Florida and Buffalo. And I talk about them a lot on this show. But, God, there's not many that are bigger than the fan vibe and the fan attitude and experience between down here and in Buffalo. So I went to a bar called Glory Days. And I went there with, it was myself and two other Bills fans, friends of mine. And then I was at a table with three or four other Green Bay Packers fans. And there was another group of friends that they're more of their friends than my friends, but they're cool people. Eagles fans, Redskins fans. Anyway, the difference between, obviously, you go to a Buffalo bar, it's going to be a sea of red, blue, and white Bills gear. Whereas this bar was a little bit of everything, man. There were Minnesota Vikings fans on the one side. So I didn't know there were any Detroit Lions fans in America, but apparently there are <laughs> because there were some Lions fans not far from us and stuff like that. And it was cool in a way because they got a bunch of big TVs and what they have are these speaker boxes. So instead of like volume going from one TV at a time, you put speaker boxes at your table and you put on the TV channel, whatever it's showing on, and you can watch the, listen to the volume from that game. So that was pretty cool. But like I said, it's just, it's, it's not the same like touchdowns, you know how it is, man. In Buffalo, people go nuts yeah. for plays. It doesn't even have to be a touchdown. It could be, a, you know, a good block or a sack or something like that. It's just the fandom levels down here are so much more chill to the point that it actually annoys me. Like me and my two boys who are from Buffalo, I almost felt like we were being a little bit too loud when the Bills were scoring. Like people were looking at us like, calm down. I was like, no. You know what I'm saying? So it was weird. It was different. Again, it was the first time I actually got a chance to go to a bar and watch the game with fans in uh, quite a while. But basically, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how I feel about watching games with non-Bills fans. And it's just that kind of, uh, it was a little bit too quiet, a little too laid back for my taste anyway. But that's kind of the norm down here in Florida compared to back up north there in Western New York, you know? Yeah, I grew up in New England. Uh, in Connecticut. And then when I was an adult and old enough to go to bars, I was in the state of Maine, which is all Pat's country. And uh, there was one bar in, in near the town I lived in that kind of had all the games in the all 22. Uh, it's called Pat's pizza. Cool place. But there was me and this one other lady from Buffalo who I actually still talk to. She gives, she's given me tickets a few times now that I live there. 
that were Bills fans. That was it. It was the two of us. It was all just a mix of other people that ended up in Maine. They're fans of other teams and stuff. Uh, but so I know that feeling of it just being a weird mix and, it was predominantly Patriots fans, which is even more annoying because obviously they were in the height of their run while I was there. Sure. Uh, disgusting to be around. Uh, but yeah, it's weird to just be like two or three of you celebrating and no one else is. The rest of the room's quiet. Uh, it's a, definitely a weird vibe. Yeah. And I, look, I want to also be clear because I don't want to sell you. I'm dissing Florida too much. I mean, these were cool fans. Like I said, these Eagles fans, these Vikings fans, these Lions fans. It's just different. It's a different level of fandom and you take games a little more personally. Whereas down here, and maybe just other cities in general. It's like, all right, well, your team didn't play well. Oh, well, get over it. I'm over it. As soon as I get up and go to the bathroom, you know how Buffalo Bills fans are. Though when we play like shit, it, it lingers and it hurts for at least a day and maybe longer. I mean, the good news is there wasn't a lot to uh, be angry about with this game. So I kind of do the same format here, the good, the bad, the ugly. Wrote down a list of some things. And obviously, I want to start with Josh Allen and get your thoughts on him because statistically greatest game of his career, his young career. He was 33 or 46 through for 312. So the 300 yard mark, the barrier finally got broken. Two touchdowns also led the team with 57 rushing yards and a, and a touchdown. I want to, first of all, let me get your thoughts on him, his game, what you saw, what you liked. Not so much what you didn't like, because I'm sure there's a couple things that we'll, we'll talk about shortly, but what about his game? Did you, were you most impressed with on Sunday? Yeah, we will get into some things he didn't like because I I think that Bills fans are definitely really excited and we should be. Uh, But the things I liked from Josh Allen were, I think we saw some of the growth that we wanted to see. And I said on our podcast that I I think that he grew just by having Stephon Diggs. And even if he didn't take steps forward, that, that offense would as a whole, just based on bringing Stephon Diggs in. But I think that we saw some of the things that we wanted to see from him in growth in this year, which is, Right at the beginning of the game, you saw him take a couple of the checkdowns. The first play of the game, he took a check down to uh, Gabe Davis. He took a couple of those uh, throughout the game. So that's a good thing to see. You saw some touch to the ball, screen passes, things that he's struggled with since coming out of college, being able to hit a guy on a screen, just being able to dump it. It sounds so silly. Uh, That one 22-yard pass to Stephon Diggs right down the middle of the field, that had nothing but touch on it, and he hit him right in stride, threw a couple guys open. So these, some of these things were things that we wanted to see him improve on as a passer because uh, we knew all the other great things, his running ability and his ability to make plays out of the pocket. We knew all those things, but it was some of the other more refined passing things that we wanted to see him improve on. I think we saw that, and I, I hope that that trend continues here this year and that growth is a real thing and not just they were playing the Jets. Now I want to read a tweet from our mutual buddy, Bruce Nolan, of course, Bruce, host of uh... – the Bruce exclusive podcast, because this tweet resonated, at least it did with me. I want to know what you think of it. He said, Josh Allen's ratio of plays. And by the way, you might not have seen this because you literally just got back on Twitter today. So you probably didn't see this yesterday. But anyway, Bruce said, Josh Allen's ratio of plays that an average quarterback can't make to plays that an average quarterback wouldn't miss was skewed in the Bills favor today. The nature of Allen's play necessitates that ratio be a focus when evaluating him. Now, that resonates with me because I think that's fair. I think he makes plays that most quarterbacks in the NFL are not capable of making with his arms and his legs. And then I think there's plays that the average quarterback wouldn't miss. Of course, one of them being that touchdown where he sailed it way over the head of wide open John Brown. But that's kind of what he's getting on both sides of the ball. That's in his DNA. 
that's the way he plays the game. And I think that's the way you need to evaluate. And does he make more plays than he does, you know, plays that an average quarterback would make that he misses? Do, do you kind of agree with that? Do you think that tweet's pretty spot on or do you disagree with it? No, I think that's a fair take from Bruce. And I mean, that's Bruce in a nutshell. I think pretty, pretty much has fair, pragmatic uh, takes about the Bills. I, I do think that's a fair take. I, I do think the trend in the NFL's kind of going towards the Josh Allens of the world. He might be more polarizing than a lot of these prospects, but you're seeing the guys that can make plays with their legs on the run, big arms uh, being what's sought after in today's NFL. So I think it is going to trend more towards the Josh Allens and Patrick Mahomes, uh, but don't be fooled. If you go watch the Patrick Mahomes tape, he makes some of these Josh Allen throws. They just aren't as talked about. Lamar Jackson puts the ball on the ground. Uh, not at the same rate as Josh Allen, but he he's, he does it. Uh, so some of these things that are highlighted more probably because Josh Allen is such a polarizing prospect when you do get on Twitter and you see the PFF analysts and all these guys that want to highlight their own draft takes that Josh Allen was bad. Uh, but you, the guys that are built like Josh Allen are also making some of these same mistakes. They just don't get highlighted as much. But I think Bruce's takes pretty spot on. You just want to see, you know that this Josh Allen experience is going to have some of these plays. I, I just told someone who was commenting on our YouTube video. He said that they wanted Josh Allen to beat Kurt Warner. I said, well, I got bad news for you, man. That is never who, who Josh Allen's going to be. He's always going to be this guy that makes some of these plays where you're just frustrated that he misses an open guy. That's who he is. You just want the, the good, super athletic, big arm plays to outweigh that because that's why you drafted him. Yeah, I, I feel like at this point in his career, there is room for growth. And you talked about it. I think we're seeing some right now. But that said, the things that he does well, I think he's going to continue to do well. And the mistakes that he makes, I don't think they're just going to magically disappear either. I think this is who he is. You know what I mean? Now, more on the fumbles in a few minutes, too, because that's obviously a problem. Clearly, at least right now, anyway, this is a pass offense first. Now, granted, they played the Jets, who might be a terrible team, but they are good against the run. They certainly were last year. I think they were second in the NFL against the run. But anyway... 46 games. Now, if I told you before this game started, the Bills were going to lead wire to wire for most of the game comfortably, but yet they were going to throw the ball 46 times. Would you have been surprised? I suspected that this was going to be a pass heavy game against the Jets because of what you mentioned about their run D being really overwhelmingly the strength because they, you know, Jamal Adams doesn't return. The only real continuity they had along the defenses in that interior line so I did see as passing but yeah no I don't think I would have guessed this would be a career setting day for Allen in attempts um, and that they would continue to throw throughout the day I think some people maybe thought they got conservative in the second half I think it was more a lack of execution they were still coming out throwing the ball Mm -hmm. uh, in the second half they just weren't executing it at the level they were in the first half so very aggressive attack. I, I'm not sure that's what we're going to see this coming week uh, with the Miami Dolphins. I think it's going to be a week-to-week thing. If they really they see some opportunities, I think they've shown that they can get into this kind of modern NFL offense and put the ball in the air and that they feel confident with the weapons they have and Josh's growth to do that. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I mean, 46 times they threw the football, and they must have done something successfully because they held the ball for 41 minutes a lot of that's a lot of time that's a big win in the time of possession seven to 14 on third downs that's pretty good Um, yeah i want to say the good also needs to be and i i have not been on back on twitter long enough to really see the takes but i've heard that my buddy my friend 
Brian Dable is getting nailed on the internet uh, for his play calling. And I think that that's ludicrous, to be honest. I don't care what defense you're playing. If you're an NFL team and you put up 400 plus total yards, eight trips into the red zone, uh, 31 total first downs, and then your fan base is saying that that's a bad performance from the offensive coordinator because you're picking out maybe a play or two that you didn't like. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad play, but you just didn't like that play. I don't know. That's ludicrous to me, man. I think this was Brian Dable's best game by far as a Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator. I think he gets unfairly scrutinized by the fan base for some of the things that we're uncomfortable to talk about about Josh Allen. Yeah, I agree 100%. I feel like if you're criticizing him on Monday today, I mean... You're, you're looking to nitpick at this point. I really don't know what else to tell you. I thought the game was He's up. not perfect, but no. he called it. I think, obviously, Josh Allen gets the game ball for this game, but I had a hard time not giving it to Brian Dable. With, I mean, you look at the way the ball was spread, uh, some of the design runs. I know people don't love that, but him getting Josh Allen running led to them getting those 31 first downs and moving the ball in that time of possession. I mean, they dominated this Jets team. It, it didn't show up on the scoreboard, but that was because of execution not because of Brian Dable's bad play calling. Well, I think some of the reason why people are complaining is they think that Josh Allen's running the football too much. Tim Graham, the athletic wrote a piece about it. To be honest with you, I have not had a chance to read it yet. Obviously I'm going to, I love Tim's work, but I do too. That, be, that, that is something that some fans don't want to see, but I don't know of any, again, and I'm no analytical expert by any means, but I don't know of any correlation where a, a quarterback who runs the football more is or like essentially is a running back gets injured more. I see more quarterbacks get hurt in the pocket, you know, as they're delivering a ball or getting sacked or, you know, trying to get to the sideline, stuff like that. I don't see the direct correlation. Now, I don't want my quarterback running the ball 15 to 20 times every single week because, sure, that's going to probably lead to something bad happening at some point. But that's part of the game plan. And if you don't run him, don't you feel like you're kind of taking one of his biggest strengths and throwing it out the window, you know? Yes, yes, no, I... We want Josh Allen to use his legs for a number of reasons. One, it, the offense is productive when he does that. That was maybe one of the biggest weapons in that game against the Texans in the playoffs was Josh Allen running the ball and designed runs. There's, he, I forget who, Dawson Knox missed the block. If he doesn't miss that block in that game, that game's over. Josh Allen takes in like a 60-yard yeah. touchdown run. Uh, so the, the plays work. They are productive plays. Uh, you don't want to see him eliminated. I agree. Maybe we want to see less of that. But for this particular matchup, I, I do think it worked well. I think it was a great play calling, kept the ball moving. I don't think it's going to be something that they do every week. You might see a heavy this coming week. It's Cam Newton had some success against yeah. the Miami Dolphins. So you might see more of it back-to-back weeks. But I think by the end of the year, you'll see it start to even out, depending on the matchups and the opponents. Uh, you don't want to take it away. You're right. Uh, everything I've ever read and looked at, because this is an argument I've had for years, there's no correlation in the risk between a quarterback that's in the pocket and a quarterback running. Now, what there is uh, some significant difference is the amount of hits that a person takes is going to correlate with the higher chance of injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's common common sense, right? The more sure. hits you take, the more likely you are to one of them's going to injure you. But in terms of risk of him running versus being in the pocket they're about a coin flip there's no statistical difference of those being an increased risk either way the the quarterbacks get injured the most when they let go of the ball in the pocket and are driven into the ground you've seen it happen to Aaron Rodgers Tony Romo all those you know broken collarbones and clavicle injuries uh, where a guy gets blindsided and just driven into the ground that's 
you know, or Drew Brees hitting somebody's helmet. It gets really cluttered in there, stepping on guys' toes. Those are some of the injuries that are going to happen. So if you're worried about injuries, I mean, it's football, man. I, I hate to tell you that Josh Allen's probably going to get hurt at some point. He's, he got hurt in the pocket uh, in that Texans game. And it got blindsided, hurt his elbow. That was his worst injury of his career so far, happened in the pocket. So the injury co- argument is not one that I'm willing to say, I'm worried he's going to get injured, so I want to stop the running because it's too much of a weapon, and especially in the red zone. People say, hey, hand it off to the running backs in the red zone. Well, I'll tell you, man, all 22 is not out yet, but you can go back and watch the condensed version. I have the gift saved of every red zone rushing attempt by the Bills running backs. It's not pretty. And you know who did have success in the red zone running the ball? Josh Allen. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I don't. Why didn't they get injured either? I'm I'm concerned about him getting injured because let's face it, if Josh Allen goes down for an extended length of time or has to miss a season, God forbid, or something like that, Matt Barkley, this team is not a championship contender with Matt Barkley. They're just not. But having said that, again, you can't take away one of his biggest strengths and that's running the ball. But he threw it very, very well on Sunday too. And you mentioned Stephon Diggs. What a good debut for him. Eight catches, 86 yards. You could just tell. It only took one game to tell. If you hadn't seen him play much in Minnesota, and at least some casual Bills fans probably had, and this might have been the first time they've seen him play extended action. He's good, and he makes those tough physical catches. You could tell that's the guy. Like, going back to the old days with Kelly to Reed on a big third and six, you knew he was going to read, and he did. You kind of get that sense right now with Diggs. Now, by no means is he the only good receiver on this team, but you could just tell right away, this is a guy who's going to go into traffic. He's going to make those tough physical t- catches that move the chains, and I, I liked every single thing about him that I saw on Sunday. Yeah, I, dude, I love Stefan Diggs. Uh, I've been pounding the Davis since he started with like the cryptic tweets and there was the rumblings in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I wanted nothing more than the Bills to go get him. He's one of my favorite receivers up there with the Julio Jones of the world. I really put him in that. I think he is a top receiver. I don't think you can grade who is the top because they have such different strengths and stuff. But I think if he was given the volume, that uh, Michael Thomas and Julio Jones gets, he's he's in that conversation. I don't think it's even a doubt. Uh, and you see it in his work. If you follow him on Instagram, the dude is getting uh, acupuncture every day, massages every day, putting in the work, doing what's right. Um, it shows up on the field. It shows up in his route running. The guy's just a technician. I, it, we've had some good receivers here during the drought. I love Stevie Johnson's and all that of the world, but this is another level. Uh, I think that Bills fans haven't seen. And if Josh can continue this growth and to develop that chemistry, this could be a really special relationship if they can keep Stephon Diggs here long-term with Josh Allen. Best receiver since Eric Moles, would you say, in Buffalo? I think talent-wise, man, yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, T.O., but T.O., when he was here, those days were gone. Yeah, he wasn't, he was, you're talking 2009 Buffalo Bills T.O. as opposed to Hall of Fame T.O. Like, Stephon Diggs is still very much... In his very prime much right in now. his prime and he's got a lot of years to to continue in his prime and he's just a smart player man he's such a smooth athlete and he's a tough dude he took some hits on sunday i think bills fans saw how yeah. tough he is i think i think you look at him and you, you see the cryptic tweets and all that you think maybe this guy's a diva he's not the biggest guy he's a tough dude and on that uh touchdown screen to john brown he was right in there getting in the thick of it with that block that set it up i think mm-hmm. that was one of the best plays of the day was that block you love to see that from your number one wide receiver because you don't get that all the time. I mean, that was a Robert Woods style block coming across the field and making that. Yeah. Now I look, everything's not going to go as well as it did on Sunday, but no. you look at the receiver stat line. Okay. So Diggs had nine targets and he caught eight of them. 
John Brown had six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. And again, should have been two. Cole Beasley had four catches for 58 yards. I think Dawson Knox, I'm looking now, he caught two passes for 26. Uh, two catches for the rookie, Gabriel Davis, who played a decent amount of snaps. To me, that sounds like your idea ratio of spreading the football around. You got, again, you got 10 targets for Brown. You had nine for Diggs. You had seven for Beasley. Ideally, I would say, you know, maybe a little, a couple more here and there to, to, towards each guy each week. But that's spreading the ball around really well. I don't see anybody being unhappy with the ball distribution if it could be even close to what it was on Sunday. No, and I think there were some people out there that were worried about John Brown's production and what that would do to Steph did, or, or you know, Steph being on the field, taking that away. Right. I mean, outside of Josh Allen benefiting from Stephon Diggs, John Brown clearly is the second most beneficial yeah. of him being on the field. And he established that last year wasn't a fluke, in my opinion, uh, that he can still be that number one wide receiver type of guy, that dog. I mean, he was open all day and coming back to the ball and making contested catches. John Brown looked as good as he did last year at any point, maybe even better. I think maybe his confidence is up in himself and that could be a scary combo with those two. And then you got Cole Beasley making moves up and up and down the middle of the field. I mean, Cole Beasley almost had a big tight. If Josh hits him in stride, I yeah, think Cole Beasley score. has a big 60 yard touchdown there too. So uh, the weapons are, are fantastic. I agree with you. It's, we're probably not going to see the production every single week. I think next week's going to be a really good uh, barometer for this passing offense of what they can do against some uh, stout uh, back of the Miami defense. You didn't have that this week against the Jets, but there's going to be some opportunities to have these big types of games for, for Josh Allen and these receivers. There's, not all the secondaries are great in the NFL and, and they stress you in a lot of different ways. It's going to be a, a lot of fun for Bills fans to watch. I can't tell you how much I appreciate John Brown. I really like this guy a lot. I thought he was really good last year. I think I might've put up a Facebook. So I don't know if I tweeted it out, but I said something on Facebook on Sunday. I was like, nobody talks about him during the offseason. And I understand why, because he acquires Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen's always going to get all the headlines. Trey White got paid. COVID, so much stuff. John Brown was like almost an afterthought. This is a dude who had over a thousand yards last year, didn't play in the finale. And again, with Stephon Diggs coming, you, you kind of hit on it a little bit. Some people thought that John Brown's production was going to fall off. I don't see that happening at all. I think he's going to get better matchups. There's going to be some weeks where this guy's going to be the leading receiver on the team. And that's because there's just, you know, that added layer of talent right now with Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs called John Brown in the locker room after the game yesterday, one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. I, I sort of believe that, man. I really do. And I'm not even trying to be a homer on purpose here. I genuinely believe it. I love John Brown, and I think this guy's really good. Yeah, I think there's probably better wide receiver duos out there uh, and better N- number two wide receivers, yeah, a but few. Not sure. a lot. There's not a lot no. of those guys out there, and he has proven production in this league, which is a real thing. You know, I, I, everyone wanted, you know, rookies to to come in here, uh, but I, I'd rather take the proven product production of a guy like John Brown, and especially you hear the way Josh Allen talked about this guy this off season of John Brown kind of introduced Josh Allen to becoming a pro to the detail that it takes to be a pro and put in the work and those conversations about, you know, what a quarterback and a wide receiver need to do to get on the same page. John Brown brought that to Josh Allen. He is a huge role in this offense and he's a super humble guy. He doesn't care if stuff on digs gets 10, 12, 15 receptions in a game or targets in a game. 
that's okay. He knows he's going to get his games like he had against the Jets and his production will be up there. I expect a, there's a good chance. I'm not going to say that you'll have 2000 yard wide receivers, but they're both going to get close. I think at the end of this year, I think they, they might not both have a thousand yards, but it, those numbers are going to be touching pretty close to it at the end of the year. I think they're going to, I'll say it. If they both stay healthy, if they both play 16 weeks, absolutely. I could see it. I, I can, I really can. I'm not saying that you're saying that they can, you don't see it, but yeah, I think they're going to. Let's talk about the offensive line because a big story, at least amongst fans, it was a big story anyway, was where was Cody Ford going to play? Sean McDermott was elusive all week, didn't give us anything. He had three candidates on the depth chart that was released. And then come Sunday, Cody Ford played guard, where a lot of people thought that's where he should have been coming out of college, playing guard. Played right tackle last year, started at guard. Daryl Williams played on the right tackle spot. Um, by all indications, and again, I'm not no offensive line expert. I kind of go on what other people are saying, and then I watch with my own eyes. But, you know, I don't know how to grade linemen. I thought he looked good. Um, what were your thoughts on him playing guard? Are you happy that he's at guard? And also, so John Feliciano hopefully will be returning in a couple of weeks. And when that happens, that's going to be pretty interesting because what do you do? Do you put Cody Ford back to tackle? I don't see that happening, but maybe you do. Um, does Feliciano maybe go to the left side and start over Quinn in Spain, who is talented and strong, but maybe a little bit limited? Is John Feliciano a super utility interior bench guy now who could play three different positions if need be. How do you see that playing out? But first and foremost, what were your thoughts on Ford playing guard? Yeah, it's, uh, I hate to sound, uh, Joe's going to kill me if he listens to this podcast. I hate to sound like that guy. Uh, but until all 22 comes out, I have a hard time evaluating the offensive line because I fair. don't get that view of the end zone, uh, which really helps to evaluate some of the offensive line. Uh, but from all indications, I mean, Josh Allen had quite a bit of a number of times where he was just sitting back in the pocket and taking as much time as he wanted. So that's a good sign from your offensive line. The run game woes concern me a little because you do have a, a guy who I believe is a mauler in at guard and uh, Quentin Spain, also a pretty big guy. And then you put Daryl Williams, who by all indications had a good game. You have some big bodies up there that you think all right, even though the Jets have a good defensive line, they should be able to move and get some stuff going on the ground. We didn't see it. I don't know if that was an indicator of the the line or not, but you tend to think it is. Uh, so we'll see. I like Ford at guard. I've been one of the advocates for for putting him there from the start. With Feliciano coming back, man, this is such a great problem to have. <laughs> I love these conversations uh, about what to do with having kind of too much talent and where to put them. These are very rare conversations that we've been able to have as bills fans. Um, I don't know what you do in, in that situation. I, I think Feliciano played well enough last year to consider just putting him back where he was. Is Feliciano the guy he was last year? I, I'm not sure if he's consistently that guy, but it's going to be tough. Do Cody you Ford's worry about have... Cody Ford? If, if he's going back and forth, do you worry about him playing guard one no. week tackle the other week? No, 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 I don't. I, I think that he has the mental makeup to do this. I think he's got enough time in at, at both positions where he'll be fine to do that. I think he can be a utility swing kind of guy. And I think that bills feel that way for him. Uh, my concern is uh, Feliciano played really well next to Morse last year. And we'll see. Cody Ford is going to have a little bit of time here to put together some tape to make his case to stay in the starting rotation at guard. Um, but if Darrell Williams continues to play well, which by it looked by all indications that he played pretty well in pass protection, at least 
that's going to be tough because I don't know if Ford can then just switch and take over somebody yeah. that's playing well in pass protection. This is a great problem to have, right? If you it have is. three offensive linemen that are, that are putting on tape that shows that they're playing well, I think we'll see in the next couple of weeks and have a better indication of, of who Cody Ford is as a guard and also what Daryl Williams can bring. You know, uh, if he can get back to the levels where he was pre-injury, I think you have a tough case where Feliciano might not make it back into the starting rotation right away and just be, like you said, a, a, a nice utility piece for this team that can play three positions across the line. You know, I'll tell you what, when it comes to, I got to say this about all 22, there's a, um, there's a mixed bag of how people feel about it. Some people live for all 22 because you can see stuff that obviously, you know, you didn't get to on Sunday because you a better chance to quote unquote grade somebody, whatever system that may be. Then there's fans who are like, I know if a player is good or not. I can watch with the eye test. You know what I'm saying? I kind of fall in the middle. I might in love with all 22, but the reason why I'm telling you this is because I think the offensive line, when it comes to all 22, and you said it perfect about the end zone view, I think that's the one position where I really, I enjoy listening or watching reviews or reading all 22 stuff because of the offensive line. And I can't wait to see the reviews on Daryl Williams because I'll tell you what, if this guy can become, or if he already is, a good right tackle, people got to, dude, this guy's only 28 years old. You know what I'm saying? It's not mm-hmm. like he's some old veteran like Ty Inseki in his mid-30s. This kid is 28 years old. And maybe this could be a situation where, you know, the Bills took a chance on him. He was an out. He got casted out. Maybe people thought he was done. Comes here, has a good year. And the Bills have shown that they'll reward guys. They did it with Quinn in Spain. Maybe he could play himself into a decent three-year contract. And even furthermore, you know, if Feliciano comes back and you really like him, maybe, just maybe, if Daryl Williams is playing really good, maybe Cody Ford's the, the odd guy out as a starter. If nothing else, this staff, this organization has showed you with AJ Epinesa not even suiting up. Doesn't matter where you're drafted. Once you're on this roster, they're going to play the players that produce. And that's not to say right. Cody Ford is not good or that he's not playing well. But my point is, if they love Feliciano at right guard, they don't want to, and if they don't want to get rid of Spain at, from starting at left guard, and if Daryl Williams is playing good enough, I don't care if he's 28 years old and an outcast a year ago who was injured and maybe done. Maybe Cody Ford could be the out guy out. I could see it happening. I'm not saying it's going to by any means, but, you know, hey. Yeah, you never know, man. You've, you've seen crazier stuff. And I do agree. Whoever is putting the tape out and earning the right to play, Sean McDermott's talking about that since day one. Mm-hmm. And people will talk about all the coach speak and all this stuff. And you believe him too, right? Yeah, they don't lie when they're talking to you guys. When they're talking to the media, they're not lying. He is earned. People, players do earn the right to play on this team. And uh, Trent Murphy's a great example of that. I think uh, him getting the snaps he does, he does everything the right way, earning the right to play. Another thing that I think we as fans have a tough time understanding because of recency bias with the internet, everything you want it now. And, and if you don't remember the way a guy was, that's it. Darrell Williams was a good tackle injuries are tough they're even tougher on bigger guys uh to overcome we saw this with trent murphy Uh, sometimes it's not they're not ready the season after that they recover with rehab sometimes it takes two full years of football to get back to any level of where they were and that might be exactly what darrell williams is dealing with right now i don't know it's one game is too early i haven't seen the 22 but there's a chance that he can get back to the level of player he was because he's so far now removed from the the injury and has a full season of football behind him. Sometimes that's what it takes. And you see it all across the league. The guys come back up after a couple of years where they seemed as though they fell off. 
And it just was a matter of them needing time and recovering and getting in the right system for them to have a reclamation of their uh, careers. And we've seen the Bills be able to do this with players a number of times uh, where they, they take somebody that has fallen off on another team and they do well in this system. So I, I think there's a chance for it. And I want that, those kind of problems in our lives. I, I want too many good offensive players that can start on other teams across our offensive line. Uh, Cause that's something we haven't seen here in a long time, man. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the ball, the defense, there's two guys that I wanted to hit on specifically. Now, lots of guys had good games. Jordan Boyer forced a turnover. I thought Trey White was Trey White, the way he always plays. He was really good. I thought Levi Wallace didn't hurt the team at all. Ed Oliver didn't do shit in the statistical category, but I thought he had a very disruptive game. Um, the two guys that I wanted to hit on specifically was Mario Addison and Trent Murphy because I thought Mario Addison had a very good day. He was active. He had a sack. He just, he, he was around the ball a lot putting pressure on yeah. the quarterback. And I, look, I know you are a Trent Murphy table pounder and you have been. So I'm gonna give you props for that. He had a sack, looked very good, man. And the talk of cutting this guy in hindsight now is just so foolish. And you can see why now. And I saw a stat today, by the way, Trent Murphy's last seven games, including that playoff game in Houston, seven sacks, two forced fumbles, yeah. seven sacks in his last seven games. Forget getting cut, man. This dude is a good football player. Yeah, I put up, uh, w- there was arguments. Uh, I wasn't on Twitter over the offseason here, but people were telling me what other people were tweeting and and people were saying about Trent Murphy getting cut. First of all, Brandon Bean came right out after cut day and said, look, there was never these discussions internally. This was a totally media fan-driven thing that you guys made a narrative about. Wasn't actually a thing. So I believe him when he says that because the production's there. And the tape doesn't lie about who Trent Murphy is as a player. And he is built for the process. But I put up stats, blind stats of just uh, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Quentin Jefferson, and a couple of the free agent guys that people were talking about are better than, you know, saying, no, these guys are better than Trent Murphy. And I just put them up without the names. And I said, you know, tell me the four you'd keep here. And Trent Murphy's stats are on par with all those guys, if not better uh, than all those guys with a full healthy year of football last year. So I think he's a very productive player. I like what I see out of him. He's still got some flaws to his game. He still over pursues and pass rush from time to time. But one play that stood out to me wasn't even the sack. He, I forget where in the game it was, but he bull rushed so hard uh, the tackle right into Darnold and it created a sack for somebody else. I forget who else got in on that sack, but he made the, or no, it wasn't a sack, but Darnold got rid of the ball real quick. It was like a third and long and he bull rushed so hard right into Darnold. He doesn't get the respect he deserves uh, from the fan base. Obviously it's got to do with the contract, but I love the guy. And, the, and then to Mario Addison, man, I, dude, I love what he brings too. And, and you got two vets like that on, along this defensive line. I just, I'm really excited about the depth of this line. I know people were upset. AJ Epineza was a healthy scratch. I kind of saw that one coming. I mean, there's just too much good depth across this offensive line or across this defensive line right now uh, where he's going to have to earn it to, to really get on the field. He's going to have to earn it in practice because it's, they don't need him right now. As weird as that sounds, he's just not needed to I generate love pass rush to, to have yeah. a good run defense. Yeah, man, they're just too steep. His too time deep. will come. His time will definitely come right now with no preseason and stuff. I, I heard the coaches say today, I think about it big McDermott or Frazier. One of them said that Daryl Johnson is just a little more ready right now. No, that's his time's going to come. Someone's going to get hurt or he'll pass somebody by Daryl Johnson on the depth chart. And he'll get his look. But I love the fact, hey, doesn't matter that he was their first pick. I love the fact that this team, first of all, is good enough that they could have 
second round rookies that are inactive. That doesn't happen very often in today's NFL. So I got no problem with that whatsoever because I know his time's going to come. It's not because he's had a shitty camp. I've not heard one bad negative thing about him. You know, his time's going to come. This defensive line's just good, which is so yeah. crazy to me because I'm telling you, man, when they, I wanted Shaq Lawson back, which by the way, I still like Shaq Lawson, but Mario Edison's a better defensive end. Perry and story, I don't even need to debate that shit anymore. Jordan Phillips leaving, I wasn't thrilled. And then Star Ops out. I'm like, the defensive line might struggle this year. But the defensive line I saw, now granted, I all you need to temper your enthusiasm a little bit because these were the Jets, okay? Sure. But this defensive line is really good. Ed Oliver looks like he's going to come into his own. And I don't care about the stupid stat sheet when it comes to him. Vernon Butler didn't wow. even play. I like Quentin Jefferson. I love Addison. We just talked about Trent Murphy. AJ's not even on the field yet. This is going to be a very, already is a very good uh, defensive line. Special teams, eh. I'll tell you what, though. In the good category, Andre Roberts, he looked good. Had uh, yeah. nearly 14 yards of punt return. I uh, had one Real quick. Re- go ahead. We we missed Justin Zimmer, who had oh, a heck of a game coming up on the practice. What a game funny? that guy had, man. Listen, what a, I was so you, happy for him. Aaron, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I'm not going to lie to you, man. That happened Sunday at that bar. I told you I was at the bar. I'm like, yeah. hey, Harrison Phillips got a sack. Then it was like 61. <laughs> I'm like, who, who the hell's number 61? I did not pay any yeah. attention. All right, so Saturday, I watched the Notre Dame game in the afternoon. Hung out with my buddies. Long story short, man, I tied one out, okay? All day, all night. Did not read anything about who might. I didn't get up Sunday until like an hour and a half before the game. Took a shower. I was like in another world, man. Kind of hung over trying to shake it off. So I, I take a shower. I, I get to the bar. I get a soda. I get some French fries. Get, get a little stuff in me. And I, and I, and I see this guy. I, I thought it was serious. I'm like, who the hell is Zimmer? I didn't even know who that was. Not even going to lie to you. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> Never thought that he, I, I knew who he was. And when I saw him get called up from the practice squad, I was just like, okay, he probably still won't even be active on the game day. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but then for him to come in and get four tackles, he had one and a half tackles for a loss. Like, super Yay. cool for him. I, I don't <laughs> expect him to be a productive member of the 2020 Bills consistently no. at all. But how cool is it for a practice squad guy Props to come to up him, and have man. a game like that, man? Hell That's yeah. fun. That is. That's awesome. So yeah, Andre Roberts, good game on special teams. Uh, yeah, do got a couple things that I want to hit on. Like that was the good, the bad. Look, I mean, what more can you say? Josh Allen fumbled twice. That's a problem. Okay, it, it is. It's a problem. And he threw one of the worst passes in NFL history on that rollout. Shit happens. Okay, it, it didn't hurt them ultimately. Again, we've talked about this. I think you you live with Josh Allen's flaws at this point. But having said that. Don't turn a blind eye to him either because they are flaws. The, the fumbles are a problem. And again, I keep saying it, play the Jets. If you're playing the Tennessee Titans, if you're playing the, the the Vegas Raiders on the road, if you're playing a lot of these teams on the schedule, Arizona on the road, you're playing a lot of these teams, getting away with fumbling twice might not happen. You know, those were pretty, especially one of the two at least for sure, were, were bad fumbles. Like, it can't happen. I don't care about the pass. All right, yeah. It was bad to look at. It caused a lot of shit, which I'm going to get to in a few minutes. Nationally, from the national media, a couple of people really got on him because that's what they always do with Josh Allen. He just hate him. Which it is. Whatever. It is what it is. But again, let's not turn a blind eye to it. Terrible mechanics. I mean, <laughs> bad mechanics and a couple fumbles, bro. Got some work to do. He's still a work in progress. Yeah. Put it that way, right? Well, that's the thing. Even as he had a great day, career day, super happy for Josh. 
the positive sign, I think, for Bills fans is that he left plenty on the field to still improve on. Mm-hmm. And if he can improve on those things, holy cow, watch out uh, if he can improve on some of this stuff. Even if it's just incremental, if he can complete two or three more balls or not fumble in the red zone, a couple of those things go the other way. We're looking at a, a 40 to 10 blowout. Uh, in this game, if just a couple plays go the other way for us, uh, the the fumbles is a concern. Both fumble that we talked about earlier with with Josh running, he needs to do a better job of both protecting himself and protecting the ball. I totally think that's valid. I think everybody should think that universally. I think the fumbles are a little bit overstated, and just because if you look at him in comparison with a lot of the other guys that run the ball a lot, Lamar Jackson a year ago, two thousand nineteen. He had 156 attempt, rushing attempts, seven fumbles. That's about one fumble every 22 rushing attempts. Josh's were, he had six on 95 attempts. That's fit at one fumble every 15 attempts. But that's right on par with Deshaun Watson. He had one fumble every 17.25 attempts. Russell Wilson had one every 20. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, who does rush quite a bit, even though he doesn't look like he's a guy that can rush, had one fumble every 14 attempts. So, Definitely something Josh needs to clean up. But even if he can just eliminate two, three, four fumbles a year, which isn't that significant of a step to take, uh, not off to a good start this year, obviously, um, some of those are going to happen. We're going to, it's, it's like the bad throws. We are going to live with some Josh Allen fumbles. If we want to see the, the dynamic plays that he can make with his leg, they're going to happen. He needs to cut it down a little bit, but it's never going to go away. He's going to fumble the ball. All rushing quarterbacks do. Uh, we just want to see the, the that number decrease a little bit. And maybe that comes with Dable calling a little bit less runs, but the the pounding the table of people saying, I don't want to see it anymore is crazy talk. That's the new NFL. That's what dynamic quarterbacks are doing in the NFL. And he's not that far off of, of the guys that are in the MVP conversation, Lamar Jackson. And, and if he can just clean it up a little bit, I think that we can all be happy uh, that that's not going to be a super significant thing that we have to continue to talk about. I, I love the fact that we could have a conversation about him making three mistakes because two fumbles and again, just an absolute inexcusable mechanical play where he misses John Brown by about 20 he missed yards. Knox, he missed Knox pretty significantly. The one that uh, Stephon Diggs was pointing yep, he, to he, Knox. He, he so that, I'll give him that. That's right, another pretty bad miss that yes, he had. And he also you hit on it earlier, Cole Beasley, went down the seam and was open. I don't know if he would have scored, but it would have been close for sure. And he threw the ball low and behind him. So, um, you know, he didn't give him a chance to score on that play. But again, we can point all this stuff out. And guess what? And I'm not being a Josh Allen apologist by any means, but at the end of the day, your boy still threw for 312 yards with two touchdowns, ran another one in, no interceptions. I love the fact that he can make mistakes, but we still have a lot of positives because there would be a time where a lot of Buffalo Bills quarterbacks Past and present, you know, the wheels would come off and there was not a lot of good to talk about. Let me ask you this too, by the way, semi-related, and I'll preface it by saying it's not a fair fight by any means because you saw the talent. But in your mind right now, Josh Allen, is, is he clearly better than Sam Darnold? Because I don't even think it's that close. Now, again, maybe if Sam Darnold was on the bills and it was flip-flop the other way, it'd be a different conversation. But man, based on what I'm seeing, I think Josh Allen is significantly better than Sam Darnold. I don't know if you agree with that or not. It's hard, man. I like Sam Darnold a lot as a prospect. He, Josh Rosen obviously has had the worst situation of any guy drafted that I can remember all time. He's just been bounced around. Mm -hmm. Nobody seems, you know, he can't catch on anywhere, but 
Sam Darnold, man, has not been done any favors by this front office and Adam Gase. And that kind of makes me sad, even though it's the Jets and you like to kind of sit there and laugh at him. It makes me sad because I think he gets an unfair rap. I think he could be a really good quarterback on a lot of other teams. You put him on the Chicago Bears. I think that the Chicago Bears are a much better football team. He's got the tools. He's Mm -hmm. a good quarterback. He makes a lot of throws. Josh Allen can't make if he is given a clean pocket and, and has time to work. So I don't know. I mean, it's tough to make the comparison, but yeah, I think it's hard to argue that he's better than Josh. I don't think anybody can take that argument super seriously right now that he's better. And part of it is we've said this on our show for uh, over a year now that the Buffalo bills have really made it a priority to do everything they can to put Josh Allen in the best possible situation he can be in with his flaws. The rebuilding of the offensive line a year ago, huge improvement uh, for a young rookie quarterback or for a young quarterback in their development. I mean, that is what, the number one thing they say you should do for quarterbacks is build an offensive line around them. Done. Yeah, but that's good Brandon. jamming. I mean, that's good. Let's look at the guys they signed last year real quick yeah. here, okay? I mean, John Feliciano is no world beater in free sure. agency last year. Quinn in Spain, not that big of a name. I mean, he was a good starter with Tennessee. Not great, not elite. You know what I mean? It's not like they went out and gave, you know, like the Raiders and, and the Bears would get these $95 million contracts or the Lions to these linemen no. every year. Mid- was a big get. Yeah, Mitch Morris was, was definitely the big get for sure. Highest paid center in the NFL. But outside yes. of him, man, I don't know. No, it was just guys. And then uh, hitting on Deion Dawkins. I was a little bit low on De- mm-hmm. Deion Dawkins going into last year and what an improvement he had. And that's a, that's a sign of coaching too. So they got the right people both in place in scouting, pro scouting, uh, draft scouting, and then having the right coaches in place to help these guys develop once they get here and put them in a position to succeed. So I think you look at the organizations, it's not so much a um, debate about Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, but it is about directions of organizations and stability within an organization. And I like Joe Douglas a lot, but that's about all there is to like about the New York Jets right now. And hopefully he can get the right people around him in there to, to get it right for Jets fans. I hope they don't do it. Um, but the bills have done things the right way. And it, it shows top to bottom that they have the right people in place to get guys to succeed and get the most out of people. So long answer to your question, but I think I can't see a single argument that Sam Darnold's better than Josh. Right. And I'll tell you in fairness to Sam too, when you're getting hit almost every player, at least feeling the pressure, every play, it's going to get to you. You're going to start making unforced errors. You get rattled. I don't care who you are. At some point, you're going to be. I saw a stat on uh, Next Gen Stats on Twitter, too. It had the top eight offenses and pressure rate, meaning they allowed the most pressure, and the Jets were number one. 44.7% of their passes on Sunday, the Bills got pressure on, which was far and away the most of anyone. And by the way, if people don't think that stat matters, so there were eight teams. The top eight teams that got pressured the most often were the Jets, Cowboys, Eagles, Bengals, Vikings, Dolphins, Falcons, and Tampa Bay. 0-8. All eight of them lost, so that's got to mean something. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. It means a ton. Yeah. It does. It, 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 the game starts up front. I know that's another one of those clo- coaches' cliches, but the game is really, it is won at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I, I think there's enough evidence uh, across football to, to show that that's true, and it extends into the playoffs especially. Yeah. Um, another thing that I have in the bad – not a huge deal, at least not this week anyway, but the running game was not good. Josh Allen led with 57 yards, so that might be a little bit skewed, but Devin Singletary and Zach Moss only combined for 41 yards on 18 carries, 2.3 yards per carry. I'm going to say that considering the fact that they were, as bad as the Jets are, they have 
been a good run defense team and that the pass was working so well. I'm going to say that your level of worry is is not very high right now, but that it wasn't good Sunday. I mean, we we got to admit that much. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I think Devin Singletary got a couple things going towards the end. He had a few nice runs that I liked, and you still saw some of what made him special in his rookie year. I think he'll get going here at some point. I'm not worried, but I do think he will have uh, Zach Moss looked a little slow to me. Um, I'm not super worried about it, though. I think he'll get his legs underneath him. It was his first NFL game, uh, but he looked a little bit slower than I would like to see. And he also wasn't the red zone threat that I wanted him to be this year. But again, week one, not looking into it too much. Um, and some of that might have had to do with no preseason and a lack of those opportunities against you know other teams and it, with live bullets. They didn't even in the scrimmages, they weren't really going live. And even we heard the reports out of Bill's camp that it was heavy passing you know, in that scrimmage as well. So that might've just been the game plan that they were working on going into. I think we'll see a heavy dose of run here this week against Miami Dolphins. I think that plays to the, the, the weakness. If there is one uh, against their defense is going to be in the run game. So I think you'll see the people that didn't want to see Josh Allen running. I got bad news for you. You're probably going to see more of it yeah. this weekend, but I think it will be also an opportunity for the running backs uh, maybe to get going and get their feet underneath them this year, because I, there's pretty high expectations for Devin Singletary in year two. And then Zach Moss was talked about pretty heavily here this off season. So the expectations are high that that is going to get going. And if you don't want to see Josh Allen running the ball in the red zone, those guys got to step it up in the next couple of games here. Um, one more thing too: the kicker, Tyler Bass Oof, rookie. Need, yeah. All right. So two short missed field goals. Okay. Looking at them though. One was probably good upon review, but at the same token, it shouldn't have even been close. What he shouldn't have even had to make it that we would be arguing whether kick was good or not. And then in fairness to him, I saw a picture anyway where um, the second kick, the laces were held in. I'm assuming that matters. Still, excuses or not, he missed two kicks. And in that fourth quarter, I remember sitting at that bar feeling anxiety when he kicked the ball. That's a tough debut for a rookie. You have to, you have to at least have a little bit of level of concern that being that young, being that rookie, that that sticks with him. You know, you got, we'll find out. I mean, Sean McDermott keeps saying he's mentally tough. Of course, he's going to say that. Right. You better hope he is because that's something that might linger for a while. A rookie kicker off to a, you know, like I said, a, a bad start, man. It was, it was a bad game for him. It was not a great game for him. What concerned me, a couple of things is the excuses people are making. I don't particularly care. You know, my thing is, I talk about this all the time on the show. I don't want to have to have conversations about kickers because if I'm talking about the kicker, it's probably not good, right? Like, it's something I don't want to have to talk about unless it's a game winning kick. Uh, so the miss that people said, well, no, he made it. If it's that close from 38 out, then that's a problem too. Uh, if it's close enough where the, the guy underneath the pole says it's no good, but that it's that big of a question. I saw nothing conclusive enough to me in any of the video or tape that's out there to say that it was a good kick. I think it was close. I'm not sure if it was good or not. That's not good enough. And then the uh, the other one, yeah, maybe the laces are wrong. Again, I don't know if I'm not a kicking scouter, uh, so I don't know if that matters all that much or not, but you got to nail that. Still, it was still off by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it's a problem to, to me that he missed too. I'm very disappointed in that. I do want to see how he responds. Maybe he is. Maybe Sean McDermott is right and he is mentally tough. you got to be as a kicker. It's <laughs> by far the most mental sure. aspect of the NFL besides playing quarterback. So we'll, we'll see what he's made out of here this next week and how he responds. 
if he misses another kick, I guarantee you Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going to bring some people in. I, I think it's interesting they didn't even try it, sounds like, this week. that We saw who they brought in for, for tryouts and stuff earlier in the week. They didn't bring in any kickers. Right, so I no think kickers. that they are showing them they have faith. I think if that was a vet or Stephen Hauschka missed, you, you definitely have. Uh, a couple guys in here for tryout. So I think they're showing him that they have confidence and hopefully that pays off going forward. And this is not hopefully a conversation that we have to have all year long about inaccuracy of a kicker with a big leg that, but can't hit from 40 and within with any consistency, because I'll tell you what, man, live leg, big leg is good. I know people are talking about that all camp. It doesn't mean squat. If you're not accurate from 40 in within, in, uh, you, you don't have that many either. Maybe you'll get six opportunities to kick from 50 and beyond in the whole season. So you got to kick in range uh, where it matters the most. And you got to kick at a high level, 80% or more. Yeah. And I'll tell you, selfishly as a fan, man, I'm just, I don't want to be having many heart attacks every time the Bills line up to kick a field goal this <sighs> Seriously. year. I just, I got enough things in my life to worry about. I don't have to worry about a 37 We're yard field goal. We're getting too old goal. for it, man. Yeah, getting way too old for 37 <laughs> yard field goals. They have anxiety for <laughs> a couple things on the ugly side. Uh, obviously the big thing is both Matt Milano and Jermaine Edmonds suffered injuries. Milano hamstring, Edmonds a shoulder. McDermott said today that he considers it day-to-day, but it's Monday. You know, he's very bland. I was a little more encouraged by uh, Leslie Frazier's presser. He said, it sounds like, based on what Sean said earlier, they're both going to be back, hopefully, for this ball game. If we don't have both them back, well, at least one, we'll have at least one of them back, Frazier said. That was his direct quote. Also, Dodson and Phillips, two backups, got four linebackers, man, went down. Um, this has been my second biggest concern, for sure, this entire offseason. The, the first being... Um, if, if Josh Allen goes down, that's long been my biggest concern. I did not like the fact, and I've been very vocal about it. I think the Bills dropped the ball, an opportunity to get a better backup in case something happened to Josh. But anyway, that aside, injuries at linebacker, because there's not a lot of proven depth, has been a big concern of mine. My gut tells me, dude, and again, this is literally me taking a guess late on a Monday night, but... I think Jermaine Emmons is not going to miss time. I think he will be back, but I could see Matt Milano with a hamstring, certainly then being a little more careful with that. And when he, Leslie Frazier said, if we don't have both of them back, we'll at least have one. I'm thinking that Matt Milano might be the guy who doesn't come back. So it sounds like they avoided a catastrophe with this injury, but it's not, it's not good. You know, at a thin position after just one week, you know what I'm saying? It's not good, man. It's, uh, I was very excited about though win yesterday but the thing that kept me up last night was worrying about the linebackers and if that was going to be long term for both of them because you just didn't know i will give some credit uh bradley gelber had put out a tweet that i saw on the slack channel that he saw that you know the bills put out the post game inside the locker room where sean mcdermott's you know handing out the game ball and giving the speech he put out a tweet with a great catch by him saying you know uh, Tremaine Edmonds didn't have any type of sling or brace on his sh- on his shoulder or anywhere on his arm, which that to me was a really good sign and helped me to sleep a little bit at night. Because if he did do something to his clavicle or break his collarbone or something, they would have him in a sling almost mm-hmm. immediately. You would have seen it. We would have known about it. That coming out showed me that maybe it's just a stinger and they just kept him out because we had the game locked and they said, you know, we're not even going to risk it. So I agree with you. Uh, they've been pretty cautious when it comes to hamstrings. We've seen that historically with this, uh, with Sean McDermott and his trainers. I think they might keep Matt Milano out 
for a couple weeks, a few weeks here, depending on hamstrings are iffy. And he's had, uh, I think, some soft tissue stuff before in the past that took a little bit to get, to get beyond. I think so he missed we'll a game. How- Didn't he miss a game against Miami last year, I believe, because of the hamstring? It might have been. Yeah, I can't remember, but he definitely has had some soft tissue stuff. So I think they just let him heal. And I, I agree. If they're going to get one of them back, I think it's going to be Tremaine, which is huge. Uh, he's a big presence. And you lose both those guys, man. And I'm sweating going into next week. Yeah, you have to be for sure. Um, it does, like I said, the big thing is that it sounds like it's not too serious. Uh, so that's good. And then another thing I have lit on the ugly, which some people, it means nothing to some people, it bothers. You still got these national people like Jason McIntyre, who's a Colin Coward cloney, whatever you want to call him, just slamming Josh Allen. He showed a replay of that. Uh, now, you weren't on Twitter yesterday, so I don't know if you've seen this. But he, they replayed, they have a gif of Josh Allen overthrowing John Brown by 20 yards when there's no one near him. Okay, it was a bad play. But this guy, Jason McIntyre, who again, who's a Fox guy, says he stinks. Like word for word, Josh Allen, then he stinks. Um, you know, it, it's a fair point to criticize the throw because it was a bad play. And again, I also like, Joe's a perfect example when I'm on the podcast. Joe hates when I defend Buffalo Bills fans and slam anyone from the national media because he thinks that Bills fans are way too sensitive. We are. We're way too. He's right. He is. But at the same token, it's unfair. Josh Allen is a lot. Josh Allen does not stink. Okay. I think me and you could agree on that much. And and again, some of these national people, it's like, what is it going to take for, you know, to to, just to get more respect than he has right now? Because it's really, uh, frankly, and it doesn't usually bother me, but this did. I'm annoyed by it. Yeah. Here's the problem. Uh, Josh gives just enough fuel to make crazy outlandish takes like that because it is a bad throw. Every Bills fan will admit that was a terrible throw. But I'll tell you what, man, I can go through top quarterbacks film and find throws like that sure. in, in certain places and, and put them out there. Patrick Mahomes misses guys. Lamar Jackson misses guys. Tom Brady misses guys. Uh, so we can find them and put them out there. But Josh is an easy target. Um, but Bills fans are even an easier target. And these guys all know it. They know what they're doing when they type out that tweet and they're going to get a ton of interaction and it's going to get buzzing. And then the people that aren't Bills fans are going to be like, oh, it's Bills fans acting up again. So it's sort of created its own thing online, its own entity that you have this quarterback that's super polarizing and is going to make some bonehead bad plays. And then you have this fan base that's uber sensitive and super desperate and thirsty for positive attention in the national media. And it's just creates this perfect storm of these guys, man can just trigger an entire fan base by putting it out there. And it does suck. I I think it sucks, but you know, what doesn't suck about this. And it's actually my favorite part about this. Josh Allen pays attention to all of this. And he, this is what fuels his fire throughout the off season. It's what makes him the competitor that he is. So he sees all this stuff. He loves it. He eats it up. And, and it, I think it fuels him to be a better player. He is at the end of the season. He talks about it. He's the first one to tell you all the mistakes he makes. He's not scared of self-evaluation and self-criticism. Uh, so it doesn't bother him. It fuels him. And so that side of it gives me some hope that keep it coming, pour on the hate. I don't even care. I'm not going to buy into the traps anymore. You'll probably see me engaging with some of the PFF morons and some of their grading process, but I'm not going to bite on every time somebody says Josh Allen stinks because that's what they want. They want us to bite. They know they're setting the bait uh, and that Bills fans are going to jump all over it. So let's stop jumping all over it. We know Josh (laughs) Allen doesn't suck. 
I think at the end of the year, he's going to be a top 15 quarterback in almost every statistical category. I think that's how good of a jump he's going to take this year. And that's not sucking right. to be a starting caliber NFL quarterback means it's disrespectful to football players to say a guy that starts in the NFL and gets his team to the playoffs sucks. It, it's a, and if you're going to say that I'm going to discredit all your views on football because it's just not true. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, with again, respect to my guy, Bruce Nolan, who adamantly says quarterbacks uh, wins are not a stat and he's right, but I'm going to say it anyway. Josh Allen's like 12 and five in his last 17 games because I don't count that Jets finale last year as a Josh Allen loss. He played one series. They didn't even, they didn't even try to win the game. 12 out of his last 17 in the regular season, he's won. Um, I had one other thing in my notes, but you stole that idea from me already. You said bad news for fans who uh, don't like Josh Allen running. Cam Newton had 15 carries against Miami for 75 yards and two touchdowns. So if you don't like Josh Allen running, you're probably not going to be too happy with the uh, with the game plan for Sunday. But anyway, things that we learned, I got three things, and then maybe you might want to add something as well. Uh, one of them is a hot take. Uh, first of all, I think the Bills, I learned that they're capable now. We've seen it of coming out and completely dominating the team that they were supposed to. And I I make that as a compliment. Now, I know the score was only a 10-point game. I really don't care. I feel like they dominated the game, a couple mistakes. But that said, my only takeaway is when this 2020 season is all said and done, I think the Jets are going to be near or at the very bottom of the standings. This might be the worst team in the entire NFL, which... We just talked Sam Darnold, and I held off saying it, but if you're the Jets, okay, and you do finish at the bottom, you know what's coming, right, with that first pick? Trevor Lawrence uh, yeah. is, is the end of the Sam Darnold there. I mean, it's way too early to really get into that. But So I got the Jets being maybe the worst team in the NFL as one of the things I learned. Uh, we talked about it earlier. My second thing is I think the Bills' defensive line this year is even better than last year, and I liked the defensive line last year. And then here's my hot take, okay? So last year I said that this Buffalo Bills team was better than any of the previous teams over the past 25 years. We're only one game into 2020, but I think this team's better than last year's team for sure. So I think you're looking at the best Bills team in the last maybe quarter century. And I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I truly believe it. I thought this team was good last year. And they added a legitimate number one receiver and the defensive line's even better than last year. So... How are they not? You know what I'm saying? Those are the things that I've learned after just one week. I don't know if you agree or disagree with any of them or got anything to, that you've learned personally as well about this team after, again, just one game. Yeah, I think all that is fair. One thing that I have learned, and it's not just this game, but it's been over time, is the growth of Sean McDermott as a quarterback or as a, as a coach, which is you saw him go for it on that fourth and four. Uh, with the lead, mm-hmm. the analytics, the analytics say to go for it. He did it three years ago. He doesn't right. do that. And that is the growth from Sean McDermott that I love to see because he does a lot of things great and he has had a lot of success and growing this team here, but you still want to see him continue to grow as a coach as well. And I think that's something I learned in this game is that he is taking in new information and that that new information is affecting the decisions he makes during the week uh, and during the game. So that's good to see. Uh, I don't think your takes that hot, man. Uh, I had it picked as a 12 and four team. I think that that's totally within reason. If they stay healthy on paper, this is clearly the best team in my adult life. And I can't, when I look at the schedule yeah, maybe KC's too tough to be, they looked great week one, two, but other than that, man, I can't see a team that they're matched up on the schedule with that they can't beat. The Cardinals just beat 
the 49ers. I don't think they're invincible. Uh, the Steelers look good on Monday night football, but I don't think they're invincible. Like some of these teams that I do have them losing to, I, I think it's going to be, the bills are on par with any of them. I think the bills can play against the Ravens in a playoff game and go toe to toe with them. I, I can't see a team in the NFL, maybe outside of the chiefs that they can't beat any given Sunday. And I don't know if I've ever been able to honestly say that about a bills team, just on paper, they have the depth. We were talking about, What's going to happen when Feliciano gets back? Are we going to be able to start him? You know, uh, and he was your starting guard a year ago on a really good playoff football team. So the excitement in the fan base should be super high. And I know that's going to make me sound like a homer. And Joe's going to be listening to this, just pounding his head off a table, saying these two homers need to get off the air and let somebody smart get on here and tell them what's up. Uh, but I do. I think you should be excited and, and that this team might be one of the better teams in the NFL when it's all said and done. Again, if they stay healthy and, and things go the way we think they will. Well, my hot take actually was that the Jets are going to be the worst team in the NFL and that Trevor Lawrence is going to be their quarterback next year. Okay. I don't think that, man, I will say, I think I underrated how bad the Jets are. They're not uh, good. This year. They, got I, a good I, they got a talented quarterback with nothing around him and a shit defense. Yeah. I gave him too much credit. I like May. He's got some good stuff, but yeah, it's not a lot of good to pick out of the Jets uh, right now. And that'll be interesting to see if they do end up with the number one pick where they're going to go with that because my I think what you do is you trade it for uh, King's ransom of picks to build something around Sam Darnold but it's going to the New York media in another three four weeks is going to start pounding the table for Trevor Lawrence it's going to be quite a media circus for uh, for them to deal with this year yeah all right a couple quick things around the league then I'm going to let you go I always appreciate your time all right so we talked Miami earlier because the Patriots open up against them we talked Cam Newton with uh with all the rushing yards I watched a lot of that game. It was on, because it's being Florida, it was on the other big TV. They won by 10. Like I said, Cam ran for two scores. Uh, I can tell you one thing about this team. Again, watching a lot of that game, they're they're going to be very physical. Like the New England Patriots are a very physical team. They're going to they're gonna try to maul you in a submission this year. At least as long as Cam's healthy in the lineup, that's the kind of uh, offense. And, and they and you, we already know they play good defense. That is going to be a... It's going to be a very physical game when we play New England. I could just tell by looking at them, just one game. Yeah, I have been very skeptical of all the piling on that the Patriots are done and that this team is going to be so bad. They definitely, they lost a lot of guys with the COVID stuff, but coaching, uh, a good system, a good building can fix some of that. We saw what Sean McDermott did with maybe the worst roster in the history of the Buffalo Bills uh, and still being able to get wins. This roster is not that for the New England Patriots. So I, they're still a concern to me until they're not. Until we beat the Patriots, that team's still a concern. And Cam Newton, if healthy, can do the things that we saw him do this last week. And that is a dynamic weapon. You know, I know people don't want to hear it, that they, they got another dynamic weapon at quarterback, but he is. And yeah. it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think that their strengths... Uh, against our strengths are interesting. Um, and it's not going to be an easy victory to walk into Gillette this year and, and get any type of easy win. It's just not going to be that way. I think this division is a lot tougher in general than people both in the national media and even Bills fans think. I think Miami is going to be a, a really tough game here this weekend as well. There's going to be some slug fests uh, in the AFC East this year. And it, whoever comes out is going to have earned it and going to be a good football team. I don't think it'll be an easy uh, AFC East champion this year. Yeah, I, I listen, I completely agree with that. I still think the Bills are definitely the better team than New England, yeah. but by no means is it going to be a cakewalk because Tom Brady and other talent walked out that door. Again, the team I watched on Sunday, I could see it being, a, it's going to be a tough grind this season. It's yeah. not going to be a cakewalk. That's for sure. You said it perfect. 
Uh, the other game that I kind of watched a lot of was Cleveland Baltimore. And, you know, so last, last off season, so the Cleveland Browns were like the off season champs and then they went out and they sucked. Uh, I thought that they did a lot of good things this off season and they had a great test right off the bat at Baltimore, one of the best teams in the NFL. And I thought that they, they, they laid down and they got murdered. Uh, you know, I'm not going to write them off after one loss, but if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm already hitting the panic meter. That's how bad they looked. Now, granted, they played the Ravens, and the Ravens can make you look real bad, but dude, not a good start. We've already talked about Sam Darnold struggling. Uh, Josh Rosen's on his 9,000 team already in three years. Baker Mayfield ain't looking all that great either, man. He threw for like 190 yards. Um, Beckham only had three catches for 22. Dude, ugh. I don't, I don't like the Cleveland Browns, man. I don't know that they're going to be much better than they were last year. You know what I love about this is the media just doesn't learn that there's no shortcuts to success in creating a successful franchise in the NFL and creating a Super Bowl champion in the NFL. This happens all the time where teams spend big, get big picks, and the media just falls in love with them. This team's going to be successful just because they brought in names, they made big trades. I can't think of a time where that's really worked out or with any type of longevity. The Rams kind of signed a bunch of big names and got to a Super Bowl, but they have sort of fizzled out here over the last couple of years and are in cap hell. I love that the Browns are having no success with all the moves that they made and all the hype that they've gotten because there are no shortcuts in building a team in the NFL. And Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott came, you know, I'm going to sound like a huge homer here, but they came in with a plan. They swallowed a ton of medicine and taken on all that dead cap and putting a bad team out on the field. And they didn't tank. A lot of the conversation was going to be that they were going to tank that year. They didn't do that. They still went out and played competitive football and built the culture and process and, and put the personnel people in place and, and did the things the right way. And I think you're starting to see the reaping the benefits of that where you look two years ago, if anybody in the national media was said, hey, the Buffalo Bills are going to be in a bit better position in two years than the Cleveland Browns, they they would have got run out of the media. Uh, but you do things the right way, and you, you you find success that way. And so I'm happy the, the Browns are struggling. I hope they continue to, to be honest. I, I, t- I got to tell you, I know I shouldn't let things outside of like our circle, like the Bills Mafia circle, bother me when people say other shit. But you know, we we just talked Sam Darnold and how he doesn't have any talent around him. So to some extent, at least, we're saying that he, he, it's unfair to compare them to. But what what's Baker Mayfield's excuse at this point? I mean, he's got Odell Beckham. He's got Jarvis Landry. He's got Austin Hooper. He's got Chubb. He's got Kareem Hunt. There's all the talent in the world. But yet, I continue to see this guy put up pedestrian numbers and put up pedestrian performances. But I don't see PFF and I don't see national media roasting this guy like they do Josh Allen. I, I don't get it. Now, Baker Mayfield, I don't know why, but it seems almost like he's protected. And I pay attention to this shit. I don't know why I do, and I shouldn't, admittedly. But like, I again, I'll defend Sam Darnold based on the supporting cast he has, but there ain't no defense for Baker Mayfield. I want to hear about the three coaches. At some point, you know what, Aaron, maybe it's not the coaches. Yeah. It might not be, and the offensive line for sure was a big struggle a year ago for him, and that's tough for a quarterback. But, I mean, again, excuses kind of run out at some point. Um, he definitely has gotten weapons put around him. They've, they've brought in guys that try to help him succeed. I hate Colin Coward. Uh, I really do, but he might be right about Baker Mayfield all along. He was pounding the table against Baker Mayfield. When I 
was scouting the quarterbacks that year, I I fell in love with Baker Mayfield's tape and and but Coward was saying that dude, this guy's toxic. He's not a leader. He's not an NFL leader. He's not going to have success at this level. Uh, and he got killed for those takes. And I don't know. I I don't think the book's closed on Baker Mayfield by any stretch of the imagination. But it, it's looking more in the favor of Colin Coward than it is in in us who were pounding the table for him in a draft Twitter world. A couple teams that I thought would be really shitty. Um, one on the the Jags beat the Colts, which. I mean, it's one game in, but I was really yeah. high coming into the season on the Colts. Losing to Jacksonville, I don't care if it's on the road. That is not a good start to your year. Philadelphia right. blew a lead and lost to Washington pretty convincingly, too. Carolina nearly beat Vegas. Not that Vegas is a world beater. Like I said, I said earlier, I, I really think the Jets might be the worst team in the NFL. Props, you did on this earlier, too. Arizona beat Frisco. The Rams beat Dallas. You know, I'm going to tell you what, that NFC West, Seattle won uh, at Atlanta. That division is loaded, and we are playing them this year. Loaded. It is a loaded division. Yeah, I, we can't take a lot out of week one about who teams are. But one thing I will take out of it is every year, this is another thing people start talking about. We, we, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick, and everyone's talking about tanking for Trevor. I'll tell you, man, I've never, I can't think of a single time that an NFL team has tanked. Maybe the GM has put a team in a bad position and put a bad roster out on the field, but these guys, you're not going to convince NFL coaches and NFL players to tank away games. They're going to try to win football games. And I think Jacksonville was a great example of that. There's not a lot of talent on that roster, uh, but they went out and played hard. You know, they played for each other and, and put together a win. And they probably won't win a lot of games, but I don't think they're going to lay over for anybody this year. And maybe the jets might just because it's so dysfunctional with Adam Gaze that he might have a hard time getting guys to play for him at some point this year. But the way those guys were hitting on defense, I don't think anyone on the jets was laying over. I think they were just totally overmatched uh, in both coaching and talent. One last thing here. And with respect to my buddy, Joe Miller's podcast, the overreaction sports podcast, I might be like the biggest knee jerk overreactor around. And you and I are taping this late in the Monday night now. And I'm watching the Steelers put the finishing touches on a, a road win against the Giants. And I'm going to tell you what, this is a good football team, dude. If Big Ben stays healthy, and that's a, obviously an, a, an if, there's a lot of, first of all, this defense gets after you. Now, I, again, I know we're watching the Giants here as we're taping this, but holy shit, man, this defense gets after you. They got great receivers. Schuster, Chase Claypool made a couple nice plays tonight. Deontay Johnson, a lot of talent. Running back course, Connor, Big Ben. Steelers might be, they're right there in that conversation, in my opinion anyway, for the third best team in the in the AFC. I think you got Kansas City and Baltimore. And then right after that, I think you got Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Buffalo. Uh, I, I guess you can make your order and we'll see how it goes along. But you better add, start adding the Pittsburgh Steelers to the conversation of the better teams in the AFC. Based on what I'm yeah. seeing tonight. Big Ben had a slow start. He getting hit a lot, which I don't love. He's he. It almost looked like he's... Deshaun Watson, yeah. uh, you know, running for his life at times without the athleticism uh, at this point in his career. So that's not a great sign. Uh, it all depends on who he, he doesn't even have to be old Ben Roethlisberger. He just has to be better than Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, which isn't a, a very tall bar. I mean, they have any bit of better quarterback play and they beat the bills in that 
uh, Sunday night football game a year ago. That was a close game with a terrible quarterback playing. And if, if they got any better production out of the quarterback position, they knocked the bills out of the playoffs possibly and uh, in, in the bills losing that game. So that's one that I, when I did the schedule predictions, I hate doing schedule predictions, but I marked that as a loss for the bills. I think the Steelers are going to be very good. And I think Ben's only going to get better and more comfortable as the year goes on. Uh, but the weapons are there and a guy that gets, not enough credit on on the internet is Mike Tomlin. Uh, the success that he's had since he arrived, and the success that that organization just has year in and year out. Last year was a down year, but they still had one of the most entertaining and, and better defenses in the NFL. Uh, I, I I do think that they could be a top team in the AFC if if he continues to trend in the right direction, like we saw here in the second half of this game. I'll tell you, man, AFC is just shaping up to be a really fun. Uh, we're going to see the Titans tonight, too, man. Yeah, we're gonna see the Titans I'm excited tonight. to see what they look yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. One last thing, too, by the way. All right. So you're 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 Tyler Bass. OK, you, you missed two kicks. It sucks. Fans are a little pissed off at you. Some more than others. You go home. You have a beer or two. You get over it. OK, the team still won comfortably and you live to fight another day. And DeAndre Swift will get an opportunity to live to fight another day as well. But imagine being an NFL rookie in your debut at the end of a game and you drop, a, a, literally, you drop the game. The last play, a, a touchdown pass right in his hands. I'm not sure if you saw the highlights and you saw it or not, but he dropped the pass and they lose. If he catches the ball and it was literally running both his hands, it was way worse than the Ronnie Harmon catch. They win. So in your NFL debut as a rookie, you drop a pass and your team loses in the final 10 seconds of a game. That's got to be tough mentally for an NFL rookie to get past, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and that stuff matters, man. Uh, if something gets in your head mentally, look at uh, if, if basketball fans, a basketball reference, I would say Nick Anderson missing the uh, foul shots in that series against the Rockets changed him forever as a player and that was a vet a guy that experienced a lot of basketball in his career he missed two crucial free throws and it he was never the same player again it happens quite frequently uh and you would hate to see this happen mental toughness is is definitely a thing hopefully this guy's got it uh and can get over because that's a tough way to start your career man yeah it really is hopefully he'll uh he'll be better going forward that sucks and i don't want to see that happen to anybody anyway Good to have you back, man. And you are again, yeah, like you said, you're on Twitter again at Aaron Quinn 716. I'm going to assume that you're back on Twitter, but it's going to be a little more, uh, less frequently, a little more sparse, your, your Twitter action. Am I right? Yeah. Your buddy, our buddy, Bruce, uh, and I talked a little bit. I've gotten a lot of feedback. I uh, actually got a lot of positive feedback about the show we did, uh, in the message that we had talked about, about why I even left to begin with. But we, I talked to Bruce. He gave me a good, a couple good rules that he uses for mm-hmm. his engagement with Twitter. Greg Thompson, who does a great job engaging with fans on Twitter. He and I have talked and I'm in a different headspace, man. I was going through some stuff, so I'm in a different headspace. I feel good about returning. And I, I, I'm not going to do game day bills, Twitter. I'm going to stay the heck away from it during the game. Cause I don't want to see the immediate stuff. Uh, and, and I've muted probably 50 phrases and words right out the <laughs> gate that I don't even want to engage right. in the conversations, just not having it. I'm going to mute it. There's no time for it right now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, if you can eliminate the shitty parts, such as Twitter or any social media, it is useful. And again, we had a great conversation about this last week. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Go back. 
and listen to that. If you want to hear a good conversation about Twitter and social media, Aaron and I had just a week ago. But anyway, at Aaron Quinn, 716 on Twitter. Of course, cover one Buffalo podcast with Greg. You guys do an awesome job, man. Sundays after Bill's games, and you're doing two shows during the season. Is it Wednesday night too or Thursday night? I know you guys are doing a yeah, second show. Wednesday night. There'll be a couple. We got a, a pretty big guest lined up for Raiders week. I'm not going to tip our, our hand yet, but he could only do a certain night of the week. So every once in a while. So follow us on Twitter. Follow uh, at Cover One uh, at, on Twitter as well, and you'll get updates if we change it up. But yeah, every Wednesday and then Sunday after the game. All right, folks, that is going to do it for today's episode. Very big thank you again, my man, Aaron Quinn, cover one. Good to have him back. Good to have him back on this show. Two straight weeks, man. Good stuff, Aaron. Appreciate you as always. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Ready review, all that fun stuff. Literally takes about 10 seconds to do, and it really helps me continue to grow the show. We also have our YouTube channel, Talk About Flow Podcast, some highlight clips from current and past episodes up there, some original content coming pretty soon. And last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I say it every time. There's so many good shows out there. And when you're locked into this one, giving your time to me, it, 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 I, it doesn't go lightly, man. I really, truly appreciate it. So thank you very much. Have a good week. I'll be back. Kelsey Anderson from Channel 4 coming up on... Friday show.